0: Are you feeling like no one understands your struggles, that you're isolated and alone, like no one has your back to support, encourage, or celebrate your wins with you? Well, let me personally invite you to join me in the Living Fearless Today Facebook group. Hey, we recently launched the group and are open to other men just like you who want to know their worth, value, and purpose to grow in confidence, find their worth, and appreciate their contributions. So if you simply search living fearless today on Facebook, and uh, then just click to join us, I look forward to meeting you, seeing your growth and the success you begin to experience in your life within this band of men. This is the Living Fearless Today podcast, a show that helps men like you and me who are struggling to get unstuck and overcome fear to live confidently and courageously. I'm your host and transformation coach, Mike Forster, helping you create the change you want now. Join me as I interview men who've conquered their challenges and soared to success as they spill their secrets on how they live fearless today. Hello, Angus. Thank you for joining joining me here today. Um, want to introduce Angus Nelson. Angus Nelson is a men's coach. He has just a huge depth of understanding of what we as men face. Um, he is very open, honest, and transparent about he, how he has come through it, overcome it, and how he's also leading other men to make that same uh, transformation and change. So if you would join me in welcoming Angus uh how are you doing today angus
1: i'm doing great it's great to be here mike thanks so much for inviting me
0: i appreciate it thank you um hey if we could start off uh today with just having you share like where you're at today both within business you know your personal side what does life look like for for you at
1: this time Sure. Uh, so I live in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm married with three kids. I was born at a very young age. Uh, obviously, I've grown a lot since then. I have an identical twin brother. So I had a womb mate. It was a womb with a view. Hashtag dad jokes all day. Yes. Um, and so now I work as a men's performance coach. My clients that I work with are high performers, high achievers, and I help them use what I call my conscious design lifestyle. It's a technique and a methodology where I help them bridge the success they've had in their lives into fulfillment. Because it's one thing to have success in business and yet have a crappy marriage. It's uh, possible to have your finances all awry, to find yourself in debt, or be in a place where you just wake up in the morning and look into the mirror and say, what have I done? I haven't built something that's bringing fulfillment and significance. And so my role is to come in and kind of bridge the gap by reframing some of the things that you're seen as your validation, some of the ways you're seeing yourself. Most of my guys, again, from this high achieving, high performing have built incredible businesses or worlds around themselves. And now they're the bottleneck to their own future success because they've got the ideas, they've got the answers and everybody's always coming to them. And so me helping them to reframe that, to delegate, to create some life and work, um, integration, is some of the most significant stuff uh, that I do. And it all comes down to the first part of it is mindset. And we'll talk about that more from um, you know what that actually looks like. But that's what I do. And um, like I said, great to be here. I'm looking forward to being able to share a story and connect with your audience in a way that I think most dudes, and especially, you know just, just to clarify, I work with men. For those of you that are in a place of transition of your own, my hope is that you're going to get a place of hope. You're going to hear words of encouragement and to know that wherever you're at, and whatever you're experiencing, that you're not alone.
0: And That's vital, I think, because so many of us believe that what we're experiencing, where we're at, it's just us. And there's nothing further from the truth. Um,
1: yeah, you know, it's the worst is, is not only that, but then in isolation, everything seems normal. We think that whatever we're experiencing, like this is the way it's supposed to be. And we're living at this place of defaults. Like we've, we've acquiesced to the circumstances around us. And like, before we started, you know, I, I shared that little phrase that we, you know, we've heard this before that life is either happening to us or it's happening for us. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're that victim, like everything's happening to me. Like, why God, why shake your fists up at the air? You know, like that is the most ridiculous thing. But when you're alone, when you're isolated, you start to believe like this is true. And it's simply not. So guys don't have an association, a vulnerability, a transparency with other men where they can feel safe and be able to contend and to process a lot of their own personal pain
0: so how how are you doing that like you're obviously in a much healthier place a different place from where you were isolated mm-hmm. how do you how have you gone about creating those relationships around you where you have those open conversations with men that it's hey this is where i'm at this is what's going on and then what do you what do you also bring to the table in those relationships where do you have to be mindset wise and, and perspective? Uh, kind of
1: situation? Um, so, so I'll, I'll, I'll come from the top and then I'll go to the bottom. So in the top, I'd say you have to be super intentional. You have to be vulnerable. You have to be transparent as a dude coming into this stuff. Like, I'm sorry, what? Like, I don't have the skills for that. I'm not going to admit that. No way. Are you kidding me? I'm not going to be weak. That's for wusses. No way. Like, we have all these preconceived mindsets around connection. Our dads were not equipped to give us the tools or the training in how to connect. And so, even watching my dad's generation, it's like, they don't understand what I do. They don't understand how I do what I do. And yet they know it's necessary. Like, oh, you're doing a very important thing. Like, they just don't connect, you know? Then let's go down to this other areas. Like, when you're in a place on the spectrum where life doesn't seem to be working, where life seems to be in conflict or resistance, the last thing you want to do is be transparent or vulnerable. Like, you can't even look yourself in the mirror. You're so dejected and so frustrated and so disappointed in yourself. And so, on the line of that continuum, there must be some feeders into your life that help give you the place and the sense of safety. You know, and that's a word that I, I love to use is like, we have to create places that feel safe. And so, for ourselves personally, like, I open myself up to a handful of men and, um. The men I work with now um, in my client work is one thing, but in my personal life is a completely other. I have some friends who are in masterminds. I'm in a couple of different masterminds where those guys have open dialogue with me, and, but that's on a mastermind level. And then I have other friends of mine who are my share of my beers, smoke a cigar, and we go deep, right? Yeah. And there's a, a term I call trading daggers. Daggers are those things that if anyone else knew could tear you down, they could take you out. Um, it could be stuff that could destroy your marriage, stuff that could destroy your reputation, stuff that could you know, destroy your future. But in these kinds of circles, like we're trying to process, like, what do I do with this? How did I get here? What am I, I going to do about this? Because every one of us at our lives have been a bonehead. We have done something like, what was I thinking? You know? Um, some of my you know story includes addiction, where I was drinking like a fish, I was addicted to pornography, and that is the kind of toxic environment that does not play well into relationships, you know, either in marriage or friends or even in business. And when I am very open and candid about my story, like, here's my favorite line. When you show yourself vulnerable, you give others permission to do the same. Yes, very much and the so. Connection, right. And when the connection I have with men is built on a level where I'm going to give you my dagger first, then the invitation is if you're open, this is how I can tell you'll give me a dagger back.
0: So how are you testing that relationship without giving somebody like when you're talking about a dagger, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like you give them a dagger, but you, you don't want to give them like something that I, I would assume is going to be too much of a a cut. Are you kind of gauging saying, Hey, I'll give you a, a smaller dagger before you give them the bigger dagger.
1: Right, um, so that's gonna be different in many situations. So here's here's what I don't mean. What I don't mean is I just met you for the first time. Let me barf my stuff on your plate. That is not what I'm saying. I mean, these are guys that I've had rapport. We've spent some time together. We've shared a couple of cocktails in different environments. Like this has been an organic expression of of, of relationship, right? Mm-hmm. So. Don't hear me where wrong where I'm like I walk up to someone like I have porn problems. Like not what I'm trying to portray here. What I am saying is when you get together and you start finding these kinds of characters in your life, there's a sense about them. Like you can kind of tell like this dude's been through the stuff. Like he seems like he's really balanced and whatever. And then he can throw out a small dagger. Like for me you know sharing my porn issue is something that a lot of guys are still stuck in because it's one thing to share your scabs it's a completely other thing to share your scars your scabs is you're in process you're in this this pain you're in you know you're still in this the funk of it right when you share your scars it means i've overcome i'm in a different place and so for me to share some of what I share is coming from the scars, not the scabs. So when you share something, you're sharing something because it's something that you, in some way, in your form, in your family or whatever, you've dealt with it emotionally, psychologically. And then there's other pieces where as the relationship grows, that it can be safer to share some of the things that might be scabs. Like I'm wrestling with this situation right now or something just happened in my business. I'm going to lose it and I don't know what to do. Like then we can go into those deeper levels. Does that make sense?
0: Definitely. And so you're, you're observing other men over time to see who to take that first step with. Like you said, you're not barfing on them the first time you meet them and, and just laying it all out. But it's like any other relationship. You're looking to build it over time to see, um, to almost vet them. Yeah. How how deep of a relationship do you want with them before you go? That is that correct?
1: Yep. And like I said, I'll lob something over the fence every now and then just to you know if I start feeling like, hey, let's kind of check this out. um, I might share something really light, like, oh my gosh, I. My kid did this thing, and I snapped at him. I totally knew I was in the wrong, and I apologized to him. And like, I was just too caught up in what I was doing, and I put more emphasis on the thing I was doing than the love of my kid. And if their response is like, "Oh, you idiot! Oh God! Oh, what, what were you thinking?" Then I'm like, mm, "Not my people, not my people." Yeah. But if they say like, "Dude, I, t- I," I've done the same thing. Like, I can remember this time when, and then dot dot dot, they share a story. Suddenly now we're in this place of connection. And again, as men, these are the things that we were born to do. And for whatever reason, our culture has has dispelled us the opportunity to actually have human behavior and interaction. We would rather like goof around that like right now, you know, the NFL draft is happening. We're like, I can't believe Aaron Rodgers wants to leave Green Bay. What's my fantasy football team going to look like next year? You know, like we have those guys who are fantasy football guys. We have the friends who are like the bowling alley guys. We have the guys who are like the softball team guys. Like we get together around events. We get around sports. We we have like interests. That's not what I'm talking about. Because that's a, that's kind of a shallow existence and an excuse for not to have intimacy. Right. And these are the parts where as dudes, they're like intimacy. That's gross. You want me to kiss a dude? And like, no, not my people. Right. Not my people. You don't get it. It's like, no, like we were wired to have guys in our lives That are real, that are tangible, because here's what I know. In order for you to get out of that isolation, in order you to get through whatever's holding you back, you're going to need somebody that you can trust to share it with. And as a coach, like my favorite thing is to help unlock and unleash men so they're no longer standing in their own way.
0: And we do that so often. And... A lot of the time, it seems like it's just a, like a subconscious and a thing that you're unaware of that you're causing your own, you know, issues, destructive, destructive patterns. Um, so I want to transition back to, um, like, now that you're you've taken this this chance in trading daggers, right? Offering daggers out. When you started doing that, and as you've continued doing that what have you seen the impact in your communication, your relationship with like your wife and your children? Has that changed that at all? Did it, did it have any kind of uh, impact upon that?
1: Of course, absolutely. Um, every one of us, you know, we're, we have to get comfortable in our own skin. And owning your stuff is some of the most empowering work you can ever do. Like, we think work is all about the externals. Like, we're trying to you know, get that right job. We're trying to get that right you know, girl. We're trying to, you know, the house and the 2.5 kids and the picket fence and the three car garage and blah, 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 blah. Like, no, that is not the work. We think the work is, you know, getting the Benjamins and driving the Lambo and, and getting that yacht. No, that is not the work. The work is internal. And when you're exploring these areas, you are exploring your greater self. And out of the abundance of that expression, suddenly the speed and impact that you can make in your business is immense. So now when I show up for my wife and I show up for my kids, I'm coming from this place of authenticity and presence. It's a place where I can be curious. And I can ask questions of my wife and she can feel like, oh my gosh, this dude actually understands that he actually cares. He actually loves me. He's looking me in the eye. This guy's learning to be present. He doesn't look at his phone. He doesn't even pick up his phone when he comes home. He puts it off on his bedside table and doesn't even look at it until bedtime. Like he plays games with the kids and he does the dishes and he, he helps him with laundry. And oh my God, the guy is like ironing his own shirt. Like Who is this man? He's so comfortable in his own skin. He doesn't require some sort of a label or accolade. And then suddenly he's helping me be more relaxed. He's helping me be myself. And he's buying me flowers or he's, you know, listening to my love language and he's spending time with me or he's, you know, doing acts of service or he's, you know, in some way he is filling my bucket of love. That's the process of me doing the internal work is now being able to show up for my wife and my kids in these new and powerful ways. And the kids love it. You know, part of my story, um, you know, included a a few years where I was a stay-at-home dad and my two youngest, you know, they were like, they were blessed with my involvement, of course, but it was that level of connection that the two, you know, the three of us all, all formed in those three years that has never gone away. Like I have such a great relationship with my kids since they were cognizant, you know, since they could, could think and, and, and understand, I've told them, I love you. I'm proud of you. I believe in you. And then I'd say, um, you have what it takes, you know, and, um, as I got a little bit older, I added to that, dream big, work smart, and don't quit. And then I added again, why? And they echo back, because I have what it takes. And then I added later, in, you know, a few years later, I added, and every day. And then they yell back, and in every way. And everybody yells, I'm getting better and better. And now my kids go off on a rant after that. Smarter and smarter. More and more good looking. Blah, 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 blah. As they're trotting off to bed. So I've been super intentional with my family, but it started with me first being intentional, intentional with me.
0: And how old are your children
1: now? Now my oldest is 25. Um, she's technically, she's my stepchild, but I have never referred to her as such. She's my kid. I came into her life when she was nine. She put me through the gauntlet to try and see if I was going to run away. If I was going to back down on the Enneagram, she is an eight. So she's what's called a challenger, an eight wing seven, uh, to be more precise. I'm a three wing two. So when she would look for challenge, I thought she was being pissy and rebellious. And so I try and push her and squash her back into her place, which means she would just rise up even more. Now you're rebellious, you stubborn little child. Like we banged heads so much until I learned the Enneagram and I realized like, oh my gosh, like I really thought really yucky things about my daughter and she the same. And once we came to that understanding, like we're best of buds now and we joke about it, we laugh about it. Like she'll say something and I'll like rise to the occasion. And what we realized is like for her, when I rise to that occasion, that's how she respects me. And so, when she's dating guys that just kind of like fawn over her and whatever, she's like, she can't respect them. They're spineless. You know? So, that's the oldest. And then I have a 12-year-old who is my uh, singer. She's my actress. She's my fashionista. She makes her own clothes. She does her own sewing. Um, She's totally into I Love Lucy. Like, Lucille Ball is her hero. Her second hero would probably be um, Carol Burnett. So I'm like, gosh, this girl's going to have some comedy chops when she gets older. She's taking in the right, you know, um, heroes. And then my son, he's uh, 10, he'll be 11 shortly. And he's into Rubik's Cubes and Dude Perfect. And uh, he's just gotten into 3D printing. And uh, next, I think he'll be into coding is kind of like the trajectory he's going down. He's getting into all these cool and funky stuff. He's the book smart kid. He takes in everything. Both the oldest and the youngest are like totally book smart. Of course, the middle one I told you is just like artistic and creative and she's people smart. She's the empath. Mm -hmm. Um, The youngest, the son, um, like remembers everything and he's followed uh, NFL football since he was probably three or four and he has a little book with like jersey numbers and he's like eventually he wants to be a general manager. That's his dream in the NFL. And uh, he came up with an idea for a farm team uh, that he called the, what do you call them? The uh, Huntington Beach Whale Sharks is his farm team. And uh, at the time he wanted Aaron Rodgers and uh, Andrew Luck to be his quarterbacks. Um, Yeah, neither is that going to be true. Well, I don't know. There's some talks right now about Aaron Rodgers leaving Green Bay, but we'll save that for a different podcast. (laughs) So that's my kids. That was a long-winded, as you can tell, I'm really proud of these guys. They're awesome.
0: You have a lot to be proud of. Um, and then, so your your son, it sounds like he'll be moving into like Raspberry Pi and all that kind of stuff. So you're going to have all kinds of like Legos and all those bots and all that stuff.
1: Yeah, we definitely have all the Legos, um, the bots. I'll even have to learn that because I know about Raspberry Pi when you say it. At least I know what it is, you know? Um,
0: I'll help you out when you get there, Angus. All right,
1: well, he's... <laughs> He'll figure it out. He's, those are some of the things that even 3d printing, like he's given all the technical terms and the different printers and the different levels and, you know, cadence of how it all works. I'm like, got me. And he knows all the different algorithms for his Rubik's cubes. And there's different cubes. Like now they've got like those three by threes and then there's four by fours and five by fives. And then he has these triangles and it's just too much. I don't know how he remembers it all.
0: It's crazy. That's his gifting.
1: It is, and in
0: and in you being you now, you've unleashed him to be what he's able to be gifted in. And, and absolutely, he is. So,
1: yep. I don't try and make him in my image. I, I don't try with any of my kids to make them follow anything I think they should do. I just find out where their skill set is, and I just dive in. Like, what do you want to do? And let me th- do whatever I can in my power to you know, make that thing come alive. That's Um, because I I realized, and we homeschool our kids, you know, um, it's a little bit different. My wife, she's wicked smart, which is probably where the kids get it from. Um, She's got two master's degrees and she actually used to be the director of enrollment for a large uh, community college. They had like 15,000 students. So she's seen, you know, the gamut, but the kids that always seem to be most prepared were these homeschool kids. And, you know, you and I were were um, mature enough that we remember when homeschool was a little weird and nerdy. Oh, yeah. And it's come a long way since then. Like some of the things these kids are doing is so cool. And the people that are involved are making it even cooler um, where they have programs that kids can be in. And all these different resources are available for like maker spaces and technology and museums and my kids taken such a wealth of information i was never exposed to plus we took a year off in 2014 and just traveled and every month we're in a different city from aruba to san diego mm-hmm. and the kids have experienced all of these different foods and you know cultures and um, language and like to me Giving those kids those experiences only ignites them to see the world through different eyes. And in the same work that I'm doing with men today, I'm trying to instill in my kids in whatever ways are possible to understand that you've fallen in line and just following the context that we know in culture can ultimately make you super miserable. And one of the biggest things that I think most people miss out on was shared to us by some great oracles of the UK uh, some years ago. And I don't know if you're familiar with these super wise and, and, um, and beautiful souls called the Spice Girls who asked us the question, tell me what you want, what you really, really want. Which is actually a statement, but let's just say it's a question. Because we won't give ourselves permission to decide what we actually want. When I ask somebody, what do you want? They'll always tell me what they don't want. That's where we ultimately end up. Second of all, it's like when you do figure out, well, I think this is what I want. We won't give ourselves permission to actually go after it.
0: Why is that? And And like second part of that is in defining what we don't want. Why is that dangerous?
1: You know, if you look at things of faith, things of historic nature, things of psychology, All of it is based on this premise of out of your heart comes the issues of life. So the things that are in you are the same things that are without you. The things that are in us that are calling us, our intuition, our spirit, our soul, whatever you want to call it, is like pulling us into these different areas of life at the same time, there was a, I forget who it was, but I, he might've been a Stoic or something like that. He said that the things that we're longing for and seeking for are also seeking for us. And so there's this element where it's easier for us to fit in because throughout the thousands of millennia that we've been around, um, debatable, whatever those years are, I've been embellishing, but tribally- We're used to belonging to a community. And if you went outside of that community in our actions, our beliefs, uh, or behavior, um, then you could be ostracized. You could be outcast. You could be pushed out. And that meant you die. You're outside of the protection, the provision of your tribe, of your community. And so we've been kind of indoctrinated just through our historic nature of having to fit in. To the people groups that we surround ourselves with, and that can be locally, or that can be you know, in a state you know kind of context, or a national state, a people group, a race, a uh, nationality. Like all of those become these labels we put upon ourselves, and then we must stay inside of those labels. That's the way we've always known ourselves to be, and so there's a subcontext that fits into our subconscious. So now that becomes what's called a belief box. This is what I call it. Your beliefs have these boundaries that are the fence in which your conscious feels safe. But if I do anything outside of those boundaries, then like, I don't know what to expect. I've never been here before. I don't, I'm not comfortable here. And what we'll find is anytime you try to do something big or awesome or audacious, some subconscious scripts will play into gear in your head. Who do you think you are? You don't have what it takes. You're not worthy. You don't deserve. And suddenly, we'll start making choices that will self-sabotage ourselves and push us back into the box. This is self-sabotage in its quintessential self. So we're programmed to stay safe. Our subconscious is constantly trying to keep us safe because of the programming we've had through the generations. In order for people to grow, the people who really do significant things in the world, they have to intentionally blast through those boundaries. Maybe those boundaries around money. I was raised in poverty. I believe that I can't make more money than my dad did. I believe if you make money, you'll be evil. And you'll do stupid things. I believe that if you make money that, um, you know, fill in the blank. I was going to be really crass, but this is a PG show. Um, It could be around your family of origin. The dad is always in charge. The woman stays at home and cooks and cleans. And this is a very traditional way. This is the only way. It will always be this way. Now you're stuck in these paradoxes right? Or paradox, in these paradigms, that's the border, that's the the box, right? If you can step out of these things and say, maybe the way I've always seen the world is wrong, or maybe it's different, then A, I have to admit that in my isolation, I've accepted this thing as normal, and now I'm going to choose that I want a new normal. And so I break through that box. I'm going to face some fear. I'm going to face some intimidation. I'm going to face maybe some imposter syndrome as I adjust to these new normals. So if I'm only comfortable at making forty thousand dollars a year, it's really difficult for me to even believe that I would make hundred thousand dollars a year until I do. And then my decision then is to normalize that as this is my normal quality of life until I make the next level and then the next level and the next level. And each one of those is new levels, new devils, facing new fear, new intimidation, new imposter syndrome, and you know, a new persona or caliber of people that you hang around. All of this from these contexts of getting through those things that are the limiting beliefs, these upper limits that we all have are creating our boxes of our belief systems. And here's what I know. In your, this is such a long answer to your short question. Okay. In your core, I'm just laying it down, right I'm just dropping bombs here. In your core is your belief system. And your brain is wired to always seek equilibrium or validation with how you see you. That's your belief. That's your identity. So most of my work is to elevate the identity of how you see you. Your brain will then go into solution mode. It wants that equilibrium. So it will attract or create opportunities, relationships, conversations, experiences that will now validate the way you believe about you. So, if you feel really crappy about you, guess what you get to attract? Crap. Crap, <laughs> right? It's like, why am I dating the same girl over and over again? She just has a different face, but they act the same. They do the same. They believe the same. They're always treating me in a certain way. It was like, guess what? You're attracting your favorite pain. You have attracted somebody that is only validating the crappy way you see you. You're in a marriage, and you've been married for a period of time, and now suddenly you start to grow, and that partner of yours is now saying, who do you think you are? And if it's an unhealthy relationship, and now it's this codependency where she was used to seeing you in a certain way, and you start to mature out of that, that's going to create conflict, and that's when divorce happens, when one spouse starts growing and the other one chooses not to. Ideally, both choose to grow together.
0: Right. Hi, Coach Mike here. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the Living Fearless Today podcast. Man, if you're struggling with your worth, feeling you're not enough, and playing small, honestly, this isn't your lot in life. There is more available to you beyond this podcast to help you uncover your worth, feel respected, be confident, and play bigger in all areas of your life. Grab a time at highcoachmike.com forward slash book a call To set up a complimentary session on where you're at today, who you want to be, and how you can live the life you've been desiring. Again, head on over to highcoachmike.com forward slash book a call and take that first step towards your life transformation. As you're talking about the boundaries of the box, that's going to go across all the parts of our life. So whether it's work, earning, marriage, whatever the case may be. So, are you seeing that as you've grown um, in your parenting and then your children age, that you need to continue to expand, expand that box um, to encompass them being at a new stage or you getting a promotion at work? You know, you need to expand to, to continue to grow. Is that something you've seen both within yourself and, and within
1: your clients? 100%. Okay. Um, let me just drop this. You're created by something. I believe it's God. You can say it's the universe. You can call it energy. You can call it whatever you want to call it. I just know that this intelligence that we carry is something super unique about ourselves. And if we believe that we were created by some power or energy bigger than ourselves, that some way, somehow, the universe was created into expansion. And therefore, when we look around everything around us, It is an expansive mode. How does water become clouds, becomes rain, becomes lakes and rivers and streams and oceans? Like there's this system of expansion that is constantly in a state of change. We look at the outside and we say the sun shines, the wind blows, and the grass grows. However, does it work? Somehow grass can grow through asphalt. How does that happen? Like it has a relentless pursuit to live and you can burn down a field and in a short period of time, you'll see life again. There is this persistence and perseverance of our creation that's always in this place of expansion. And so in that cognizance of being or understanding or intelligence, I choose to believe that I am a reflection of that experience. So as it is expansion, supply, so am I. I'm a being that is called to expand and supply. And anytime I run up against a place where I don't want to grow, it means I have to face an upper limit belief. Joseph Campbell says that in the cave you fear to enter lies the treasure that you seek. And so when you run up these things, they intimidate you, they scare you, they seem so scary that you don't want to like even have anything to do with it. It's like maybe that's the invitation. Maybe you need to make that phone call maybe you need to show up at that meeting or that event maybe you need to you know put yourself on camera and shoot that video maybe it like there's something that's intimidating you that that is the invitation and when you look at your imitation your intimidations as your invitations you start to see the world is inviting you to be different bigger and better and the big that you think in your head is such a small quantity to the bigger that the universe is calling you to and every man knows that we have a battle that we get to win, a princess we need to rescue, and a story we get to be a part of. It's part of our, you know, story of life. And now it's like anytime we stop that story, we feel like we're dying inside, and suddenly we're missing out on the opportunities. Right?
0: Yeah. As you're talking about a story and and laying it out like this, it's like it makes me think of uh, like in. In Star Wars when uh, Luke had to go in and face his fear, and it's like he he was told this is where you need to go, and so yeah, that just kind of brings me back around to that and how we tell that story, you know those that that path that has to be done, we tell it even within stories that it's laid within there
1: that's why we resonate with it, right yeah exactly it's It's our story, we are Luke. And, you know, as a coach, I am Yoda. When I work with my clients, I'm like, I am not your freaking hero or your guru. You are. My job is to reflect back to you what you're saying and experiencing to show you what you already know to be true, that your greatness is already inside of you. You don't need to be validated by the things outside you. You don't need opportunities. Like you get to create your own because the manifestation of your expansion is something already in you. The way for you to break through those belief boxes is for you to know it to be true. And that's intimidating. And that takes us right back to what do I want? (laughs) I want to be free. I want to get out of the stress. I want to get out of the anxiety. I want to get out of the overwhelm. Guess, who's got, guess who gets to make that choice? It isn't your job. It isn't your boss. It isn't your wife. You get to choose that. I get to choose how to delegate. I get to choose how to bring in you know other help. I get to choose how to ask for help. I get to choose how to make other things in my life possible simply by making a choice of what I want. You know, we were talking about before we came on. I was talking about that manhood matrix. Like this is this thing stacking on on stop on top of each other. What's that mindset? You know, for for all you viewers at home, we were talking about um, this this tool I have, this alignment tool, <clears throat> and it talks about how kind of similar to Maslow's pyramid is this whole act of self actualization. And so I built a framework to understand how it all works. Is First is this mindset, is that you understand that your belief is everything. Your belief drives those behaviors, as I said before. The beliefs are your identity. The second piece of that is your attitude. Uh, Stacked on top of your um, mindset and your beliefs is this attitude is the life around me is happening for me, not to me. I'm not a victim. I'm learning lessons, and it's giving me wisdom and insight and an advantage for my future. And therefore, I've never missed out on an opportunity. I've never missed out on something that I thought was, you know, a failure. What it was was a lesson learned. If I choose to learn it, so that I can no longer make that mistake again. Now I have this advantage. I know these things. Then it takes me to this next period of, uh, from this mindset to your attitude to your nature. is we understand that your value doesn't come from what you do, but rather it's in who you are. Your power is not external. Your power is internal. Therefore, you're no longer striving to make things happen so that you can get the accolades, get the flowers, get the awards. That stuff is fleeting. Instead, you focus internally to become focused on becoming the man you need to be. And then the doing that you do will become a product of that overflow and that excess. And now you're coming from a place of supply, a place of power, a place of abundance. And from that nature, you see yourself where the world is bigger than you, and now you slip into contribution. This is this place of humility, where you start to take your gifts and talents and skills and you pour it out to the people around you because it's coming from this place of abundance. And so now from your humility, you start to see this place of um, or observation, observation, Observation is where you have emotional intelligence, self-awareness, understanding how you interplay with the people around you and how your actions and behavior, your, your words help other people blossom and flourish or wilt and die. And so from that observation, you see opportunity. Like my gifts, my talents and skills have massive impact in this area. What if I start this business? What if I start this movement? What if I do this thing? What if I come up with this idea? What if I pursue that that uh, dream? And now you'll finally dare. You'll dare to do the thing you were born to do. And I would tell you that your dare is not an achievement. It's not a thing. It's actually an emotion. It's the emotion that, on top of all of this, all of it drives something inside you that you've known all your life something that makes you feel alive, maybe it's joy, maybe it's laughter, maybe it's belonging, maybe it's contentment, maybe it's fulfillment. And that emotion is the invitation for you to make it contagious. And the thing that you will dare to do is the thing that only produces more of that emotion. And therefore, you never exhaust yourself. You never burn out because you're operating from the emotion that fuels you. So your actions and behaviors are only giving you more of what helps you do more of that.
0: That's the sweet spot that fear keeps us from so much. I mean, it's like, I I mean, I look back at at my life and how I did things and fear, like you've talked about, kept me playing small, kept me from, from taking that dare. And so I never moved up like what you laid out as far as that pyramid of getting to dare because I was down so afraid at other levels that I never moved up the pyramid until I took that risk, like you talked about, of trading daggers and and being able to do that that observation, the, the reflection, and do the work. But it's like once you get um, you work through that, you take that challenge on. It's like, there's so much reward and that dare just becomes bigger, but the reward with it is also much bigger. And it's not just within ourselves.
1: Yeah. Um, The question that I always ask guys, and this is what I'll ask you, you who are listening to this in your office, in your car, on your run, while you're mowing the lawn, I want to get in your ear right now to say, who must you become? in order to do the thing you see in your heart to do. You're going to blame it on circumstances. You're going to blame it on all the things you have to do. And you're going to get caught up in all the overwhelm of all the details. And I would tell you, the beginning of your journey is like building a building. First, you go deep. First, you dig out the foundation. And therefore, it's internal. And doing the work internally that you grow as a man is the thing that becomes the foundation that makes the expression of that man so much faster, so much more efficient and so much easier. And so my clients in 90 days of working with them don't even recognize their old selves because it happens so fast. Once you change the way you see you and that's the core of the story.
0: Yeah. That's like the foundation that you have to focus on. So, it's easy to look at you now, Angus, and go, "Oh my gosh, life you've just had this silver spoon life. like you've got all the answers, everything's glamorous, it's just super easy. But Angus, you know, going back to that victim mindset, what holds us captive, you don't know my story. Angus, would you mind sharing like, what's that journey been um, and and how you got? where you are now because it always hasn't been this way for you
1: right my first business i was in my late 20s my brother and i started this uh nonprofit organization and it was an arts-driven youth center on the outside it was amazing we were in the small town in central wisconsin we had traveled a lot my parents had told us to grab a backpack and go so we had been to all these different places my brother had had a background in the music industry living in uh, LA. Um, we'd, I, I had lived in a bunch of other cities, and um, the thing we wanted to bring back to our hometown was something for the young people, something they would otherwise never get to experience. So we created a cyber cafe. Do you remember those? Yes. Where you had computers and internet, and this is 1998, 99. And so that was really new for central Wisconsin, where we're at. And we did concerts. And so, we brought in concerts from people from all over the country, some even international that were passing through. We'd catch them between Milwaukee and Minnesota, or excuse me, Minneapolis and Chicago. And so, we had some really awesome acts come through our, our small little cafe. We had 15,000 kids to come through. We put on two music festivals. Our first music festival was a headliner of this band called Train. Ever heard of Train. They're amazing, right? They've exploded since then and put out tons and tons of records since. Um, and they don't even call them records anymore. I've just aged myself. And
0: <laughs> You and I both.
1: <laughs> in, that team, in that Well, people still listen to records, I guess. All the old school vinyl folk. Um, we got ourselves into debt in that pursuit of trying to do something really big and audacious. We made some mistakes and uh, we went too big too fast. And I didn't know how to ask for help. I didn't know how to delegate. I didn't know how to do so many things that I know how to do today. And so under the pressure, under the strain, I'm trying to impress my board, my community, these kids, their parents, my wife, my family, my church. I would try to impress everyone else by what was going on. So I wouldn't dare share what I was experiencing or what I was feeling. So I started coping with the pain and it started with porn and out of that shame drove me to alcohol. And from that, I started sleeping around. It was sex. And in short order, I lost my marriage, that business and my self-worth. It took me three years of counseling and living as a recluse. Like I'm a very social, you know, outspoken, like out in the community kind of guy really extroverted and suddenly I want nothing to do with people. I'm filled with so much shame and so much guilt, so much um, just pain. And I dove head deep even more into alcohol after that. i um, trying to get through all of it. And uh, a lot of country songs to be uh, written about that season. And then I found grace. Like, I grew up in an understanding of um, the faith circles that were very legalistic. And so hence I carried that even more shame than I probably needed to. But when I discovered grace, that I was loved simply because who I was, not because of what I do, it changed me. And there was a book um, that this author had written and I'm like, this dude's cool. He wrote a bunch of other books. I started reading those and then I'm like, dang it, I'm just going to sit under this guy for a year. And he was in Huntsville, Alabama. So I put my house on the market. I moved to Alabama. And I went to go sit under this guy for a year. And this guy taught me more about emotional wholeness and well-being and psychology and Eastern philosophy. And it revolutionized the way I see myself. Meanwhile, I met a girl. And at the end of that year, I'm like, well, maybe I'll stick around, see how this flies. And that's who I'm married to today, is this woman who saw me in that place where I was still in transition and had enough empathy and compassion in me and said, oh, I'll give this guy a try. And the two of us you know, put a lot of work into our relationship right out the gate um, by going to a counselor even before we were dating. We went and saw a a relationship counselor and started working through crap. And then we started dating officially. And a couple of years later, we got engaged out on Rockefeller Plaza on the ice underneath the Christmas tree. And uh, that'd be December 2006. And we got married 7707. Because that's an easy number for me to remember. Fantastic. (laughs) Um, keynote
0: guys, make sure you remember when you get married.
1: Right? <laughs> um and then you know it wasn't wasn't you know roses and well, I was going to say guns and roses it wasn't it wasn't you know roses and rainbows um after that I ran another nonprofit and then uh the 2008 2009 down cycle um you know the economy you know slipped and I had to close the doors on that nonprofit too and that's when I came home and spent 3 years with my kids while my wife challenged me to write the book about that initial season of my life, mm. which is the book Love's Compass, and that book tells the story in, in a lot of transparency and vulnerability about what actually happened, and then how I met my wife and some of the lessons that I learned. Launched that book, got into social media <clears throat> in trying to promote it, and ended up meeting some people who were also fathers, and and uh, from that space, we had started writing about things like a dad blogger. And so I started dad blogging, started getting invited to uh, some different events. And uh, long story short, I met a guy who was working in corporate, wanted to start an association and it gave me a shot. And for three years, I ran an association of Fortune 500 brands, everything from Walmart to General Electric to Whole Foods, Coca-Cola, BMW, like go down the list. I spoke on stages from Adobe to Coke to Walmart to Swisscom and um, a whole bunch of different places all from these small beginnings because I did the work inside, I got elevated. And then inside of those association conversations, I'm talking with people who have gone to the best schools. They're working obviously at companies you'd give your left arm for, Mm. making great money. And so many of them were still miserable. And that's when I thought, huh, this coaching thing is a thing because I'm on these calls walking them through their stuff. And so over the next couple of years, I started another company <clears throat> and that didn't go well. Um, there were five of us, all corporate, long sales cycles. And um, and then even once we finished the work, we were on these net 90 and net 120. Uh, of getting paid and I burned through all of my savings and then I started living on credit cards and got down to about $423 to my name. All my credit cards were maxed and something had to change. I sold my house, paid off all the debt, dealt with all the the uh, depression and, and stuff that comes with you know feeling like I had failed, but I had done enough work. That I'm like, this is not me what does this make possible? And that's a phrase that I've used in my coaching ever since, because when I made that decision to just say, what does this make possible? It went from, I have a failed business. I had to sell the house. And now, you know, we've got nothing. To that didn't work, but I know something will work. And thank God we had a house that had great equity in this fantastic Nashville home, you know, uh, market that helped us be able to bridge this gap. Let's go find a really cool apartment that inspires us, one on the lake, and let's rebuild something we really want. And what did I really want to do? I wanted to coach. And so I worked some little side gigs and got another job and stuff like that. But the whole intention on the side was I started building up my clientele. And for the next three years, I started taking on clients and learning the rhythms and learning the systems and learning tools and resources that would help my clients best and framed out a work that has now become what I call Evolve Men. And now the story of Evolve Men is helping men see in themselves their own greatness getting out of their own way and evolving into the men they've always wanted to be. And I left my job during the um, pandemic through a forced uh, uh, exit, uh, getting laid off. And that suddenly was the wings to the dream suddenly becoming possible because that was the question I asked. What does this make possible? I already had the clients, I already have the systems, I already have the tools, and I've been scoring away cash for the last year. I've got the money. Let's do this. And I've never looked back.
0: That's awesome. And I mean, it shows that you are fully focused in moving forward, not just yourself and your family, but also the men that you're you're working with and and just that you you call friends. Like I mean. I see things like on a rocket (laughs) with Mm -hmm. you uh, as you and I have gotten to know each other. Mm -hmm. Um, So in making the transition from what you've shared about where you were, what you've gone through to where you are today, what, what tools, methods, trainings did you use to get that transformation that you've now experienced?
1: So the stuff that I did was twofold. <clears throat> One is like I, I learn a lot on my um, my own pursuits, <clears throat> reading tons of books. Like I inundated my brain with information, and uh, I believe it was Jim Rohn. I may have this wrong, that said the difference between who you are today and who you will be in five years is found in the people you associate and the books you read. So number one, I just read like a mofo because that's what I do. I love my books. I got my books back here. We had a flood um, a number of weeks ago and I had to throw away a ton of books. That was so sad because books to me are are my fuel, right? And then second of all, the people I associate. Uh, I believe you imitate whom you associate. And I uh, started with um, a mastermind. And then I got into a coaching program where I myself, and and I will tell you this, if you ever get a coach, make sure that coach has a coach. Because if they're not investing in themselves and they're not growing themselves, then they're not going to do you a whole lot of good. They'll get you to a point and then you'll stagnate. But if you want to keep growing, grow with somebody that's growing. And so me exposing myself to, you know, these different kinds of networks. It started off a free mastermind. I'm still a part of today where it's me and some other entrepreneurs. We meet once a month. That was free. No problem. No investment, but also not any pain because pain growth is pain. It's like, it's forcing you to deal with this stuff, right? Yeah. So I dropped 10 grand and got another program to challenge me That was a big pill to swallow, but I knew that to go where I wanted to go, I had to make an investment. And that got me around even bigger dreamers, bigger thinkers, people who made way more money than I. And, And I have this conviction. I always want to be the dumbest, poorest person in the room because that's the only way I'm going to grow. And, um, and then I got to, uh, as you had mentioned before, um, I was in two other programs and then I was with Zeller. So I've poured into myself literally over $100,000 into building what you see today in me. I, and I, that's I, What's I that? Sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, and this is the interesting thing is It's not something that you see tangibly. It's not like a car. It's not like a house. It's the man who is comfortable in his skin, who shows up for his wife and shows up for his kids and is able to navigate difficult things and bring wisdom and patience, presence and quiet confidence anywhere he goes. Like I did that work. And... I also didn't do that work. I had other people who asked me hard questions, got in my face and challenged me, and I rose to the occasion. You know, so there's this kind of cool correlation of paradox where if you want friends, you first have to be friendly. If you want to get, you first have to give. If you want to live, you first have to die. Dying to your old self your old belief systems, your old limiting piss poor wallowing excuses and understand that your personal power is something that you already possess. And it's only you who can possess it. Only you can get after it. Only you can mine out your own gold.
0: And I think that death component is, is really visible in when you you said you want to be the poorest like poorest person in a room not the most powerful person in the room not the richest because it's like so many times that's where our ego wants to take us Mm -hmm. is i want to be the person that's looked up to not the person that's there to learn and look up to other people that is just so (laughs) powerful right there because it's contrary to what is comfortable. And, and where, if we're not like what you touched on earlier, if we're not daring, then we will find ourselves in those rooms where we are at the cap and we're not experiencing that growth. Angus, thank you so much for all that you have shared, both the knowledge, the transparency in your journey, where you're at today. How can, how can men reach out to you and how can they also um, find your, your book loves compass.
1: Sure. Um, so find me at angusnelson.com. I have a new website coming that now matches the power and the, the, um, the, the brands that I exude. Um, so you'll find me on angusnelson.com. You can find my book on Amazon or anywhere that you like to buy your books. Loves compass by Angus Nelson. There's another book called loves compass. Not my book. Make sure it has Angus on it. Otherwise, you're going to be reading a seedy little like romantic drama f- uh, fiction uh, book, um, which I've never actually read. I have no interest in reading, but hey, maybe that's your jam. Um, and then that that tool I was just telling you about, the uh, the Manhood Matrix, you can find that really easily at AngusNelson.com forward slash matrix. And cool. you can download that for free. It's not going to cost you anything.
0: I appreciate you making, making that available. And, uh, again, for being here today and sharing everything. So Angus, thank you very much, my friend. We will talk with you soon. Thanks so much, my friend, for joining me on another episode. If you found the information within the show helpful, please leave a review on the platform you're listening to helps raise the show's visibility. So other men can join us in breaking free. See you on the next episode and remember to continue putting yourself out there. Have a great one.